So it's so, I'm so blessed to be able to share with you tonight or this afternoon. Um, just, just by way of interest, um, who's been away this weekend? And who's been at home? We've been away and at home. All right. Yeah, it's, it's actually a, a shocking to see how commercialized Easter's become, eh? With the Easter eggs and the bunnies and all the stuff and the hot cross buns. We bought hot cross buns at one of the supermarkets. I'm not going to bad mouth them. But there was no cinnamon in the hot cross bun. And a hot cross bun without cinnamon is not a hot cross bun. Would you agree with me? <laughs> so we were so disappointed with these hot cross buns. So, but I won't say the place's name because maybe the next batch is better than this batch. But yeah, we were kind of disappointed. But then somebody brought us hot cross buns. And they were full of cinnamon, and we loved it to bits, and we chomped it up quickly, quickly. Not that my size can afford chomping up anything, but it's part and parcel. You know, when I have a wife, I don't have to look after my physique that much anymore. But you younger guys have to look after your physiques more than I do. You still have to catch a wife. Am I right, guys? Talking from a man's perspective, not a lady's. Nee, Cornet, ons kan bykie ontspan, nee. Ons kan bykie ontspan. Jy's nog, jy lekker goed. All right, folks, so tonight we're going to talk on the subject of following his example. And there are going to be three main points, but leading up to the first point, we're going to discuss an interesting topic that I chatted with a student this week, and we were talking about what did Christ have to give up to come to earth and allow himself to be crucified, put our feet in his shoes as you rightly said, without even knowing what I'm going to talk about tonight. What did Christ, because we were talking about he's, he's got a girlfriend, and he's about, he's thinking of marriage and all that stuff, and I said, you know, we have to follow Christ's example in giving up things for our future spouse. But how much has Christ given up for us? What massive sacrifice has he made to become a man on the earth? If we put our feet in his shoes, what sacrifice did he make? How severe is sin to God? How severe is sin to God? That's the question we spoke of. How severe is imperfection to one who is completely perfect? And I was doing, uh, with my theological studies, I did systematic theology, and I had to prove that hell is biblical and does exist. And there were a lot of guys. There's a, there's a whole church movement that says hell doesn't exist. Do you know that? But Christ speaks more about hell than he speaks of salvation. It's a shocking thing. And then, and then at the end of this whole document, one guy said this. He said, it's hard for us to understand that a loving, caring God will send us to hell but do we think of a perfect holy God? How would a perfect holy God that does not know sin, doesn't associate with sin, has got no sin around him, on him, in him, it, it's like totally foreign to God. He's totally perfect and holy. How would a God like that react to making a way for us to be forgiven, to be received, to be washed, to be loved. How would he react to us throwing his grace back in his face? And he's perfect and holy. Do you think there could be real anger and indignation if God comes through Jesus Christ and gives us 
All we need, all we have to do is surrender and say, we are wrong, we are sorry, please forgive us. We've messed up our lives. We've been disobedient. We've not been listening to, we've been listening to our own minds, our own hearts. All it takes is just to say that. Like you truly said, Peter went back to Christ. Judas didn't. Humbly, all it takes is saying, God, here I am. I am so sorry. And after God giving you a lifetime to come back to him, and after a lifetime, you do not respond to his love and kindness. Do you think it's wrong for him to send you to hell? I don't think so. Lots of grace, lots of mercy. So do we really understand the severity of sin to a holy God? Him who has no sin, he has no frame of reference with regards to sin. He is perfectly holy. Sin is outside of him. He is. This God we serve is perfect love. Have we, outside of Christ, have we tasted perfect love? Maybe a father and mother's love is to a certain extent very close to, not God's love, but it comes close to God's love because it's unconditional. How many times have your parents forgiven you for the same mistake you've done? Gerard, It's untelbar. Am I right? And God's the same way. He forgives us. Stefan, let's do your Gerard. How many times, Stefan? Because you've been away for too long. That's why, Stefan. <laughs> you've been away for too long. So, well, okay, so I was prophetic. Gerardus, Stefanus, Jacobus. Okay, Stefanus, Jacobus, Gerardus. So, this amazing God, He just comes and he, and he loves on us. And it's perfect love. I think the closest I have on earth to perfect love is my daddy and my mommy's love for me. Perfect care. He's a God with perfect care, perfect consideration, perfect submission. Son and spirit to the Father. And Christ did not equate it to himself to be equal with God. He came down to our level. So there's submission in the Trinity. Perfect accountability. Perfect in all of his ways. He has never, ever done anything wrong ever before or present, or in future, he will never ever do anything wrong. How possible is it to look at sin from this perspective, being a perfect God? That's why it says we have all fallen short. One sin disqualifies each and every one of us. Try to imagine his perspective, his vantage point, what it looks like from him. How would it seem to us if we could put our feet in Christ's shoes? How vulgar, how disgusting would it be to us if we come from this place of perfection and we see sin? Being a person who has never tasted sin, never known sin, never lived in sin, never been surrounded by sin, this is who Jesus is. And he's not like us that the day we breathed our breath, our first breath, we were greeted with sin. We were born in sin because of Adam and Eve's fault. But just being a little, which little baby is not consumed with him or herself? Have you met a baby? They're cute and cuddly and lovely. You want to kiss them. But their life consists of, Mwah. am I right? I want food. I want love. I want comfort. I want all that I need. All right, so, Greet it with sin as you breathe your first breath. 
His vantage point, his approach, his perspective, his mind, his heart is filled with purity, love, and gentleness. He has the fruit of the Spirit 24-7. Do you ever met somebody with the fruit of the Spirit 24-7? Galatians 5, verses 22. He has love 24-7, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all the time. All the time, he has all of these characteristics. And to add to that, his love is patient. Patient for eternity. Patient while you're on this earth. His love is kind, not jealous, not boastful, not proud. His love is not rude, does not demand its own way, not irritable, does not keep record of being wronged. How many of you kept record of being wronged in this week? Even though just for two hours. Come on, honest, yeah. He keeps no record of no wrong, zip. Does not demand its own way. Who today has not demanded his own way? Raise your hand. Even though just in your heart. We're all guilty, Kegneda. We're all guilty. We've all felt, mm, I want it my way. Does not demand his own way. Does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices when truth wins out. Never gives up. Never means never. Do we understand the meaning of never? Really. We often don't give up, but we can never say we never give up. Never gives up. Never loses faith. Always is hopeful. Always endures through every circumstance. So I have a little exercise that I'd like us to do. I'd like you just to become quiet for a few moments and try to put yourself and your heart in this posture to look at sin the way Christ would look at sin from his perspective of being perfect in all of his ways. To look at sin, not the sinner. We don't want to judge anyone. But look at the behavior that people do around us and that we do. How would you, if you put your feet in Christ's shoes, how would you see sin? Think on it. And if you're comfortable, share it with the person next to you. But let's all just ask the Lord to try to help us to put our feet in his shoes. All right. So, if you had seasons in your lives? We've all had seasons. Would you agree? So, I've noticed in my life the seasons where I've wandered from God or lost my interest in reading Scripture, worshiping Him, quiet times, talking to Him, skipped being alone with him, sharing my heart. I just stopped doing that. I stopped asking him for his guidance, and, and I start filling up my mind, and no longer filling up my mind with his principles, his values. When I start wandering off, when that season starts to happen with me, I realize it's because I've been distracted. Every time I've wandered off God, something else has become more important to me than God. Something else has taken me away, and often it's a movie with some sin in it, and then I start thinking of that sin, or it's a TV series, or it's a hobby, or it's a friend that says, come, let's go do this, and I know I actually just want to be with the Lord tonight, or I just want to be with the Lord this morning, I don't want to go jog, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to go do this or that, <laughs> or it's a sport, or an adventure, adventure that's distracting me, distracting me from, from wanting to be with Christ. And my focus of my heart has been distracted 
and swayed by other interests. I find myself fully flinging and wholeheartedly pursuing this distraction. I fall for this distraction. I run after it. Then God comes and he sees I'm busy wandering off. And it's happened thousands of times. I'm 52 years old. So maybe in your lives it's been hundreds of times. It's going to end up in thousands. And then God comes through a sermon or a powerful Christian book that somebody gives me or an article or a conversation. It's like ice cold water hits me. And I suddenly get a perspective. I have been missing the plot. And suddenly a hunger wells up in my heart to run back to Christ. Or a worship time like this afternoon. In a worship time, it's like the Lord's Spirit just comes upon me and I'm back and I just repent and I realize, oh, I've messed up. Or a tough situation comes across my life. I, I come through a challenge and I'm in a challenge and I'm, and I'm having to seek God and suddenly I realize I've been distracted. I've been swinging off. I've been wandering off from my in intimacy with the Lord and I come back to Christ. So all of this, what we've just discussed, is to point out the first thing that we have to follow Christ in. There's three things we have to follow Christ in, basically. There's probably more, but these are the three most important, I would say. It's all about following Christ in His holiness. We've discussed about how does God perceive sin? How does God perceive what we do? To follow Christ in His holiness the next thing we need to follow Christ is in his devotion, in his sacrifice. And the third thing we have to follow Christ is in his mission. So we'll talk about sacrifice and devotion now and mission. We've just spoken about following him to see sin the way he sees it. From his perspective. Because you know you have been made righteous by faith. And you know you are, if you're a child of God, you are the temple of what? Of the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. You know immediately when you're thinking something wrong. You know immediately when you're walking in the wrong. You know immediately. You can dumb it down. You can try to shut that thought. You try to ignore it. But it relents. It carries on. Spirit carries on talking to you. Whoa, you need to stop. Yo, you need to go. Oh, you need to turn. Yes, carry on. Go on. Change. God speaks. He speaks. He speaks. He does not stop. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we have to follow of Christ is His holiness. In starting to become disgusted at sin. Not at the people. Love the people. Disgusted at sin in you and disgusted at sin in others. But never condemning the person because God loves them. So I'm going to read the following. If we follow Christ... We have to try to understand from his perspective how he saw what he saw. His perspective, how he saw what he saw. Why he did what he did. What price he paid to do what he did. And be singular in focus as he was singular in focus to do what he had to do. A lot of words. It's basically saying his holiness Follow his holiness, follow his sacrifice, follow his mission. That's a follower of Christ. Three main areas. So let's talk about his sacrifice, his devotion. You know that no one has ever 
been in a higher position than Christ. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are in the highest position outside of creation. Highest throne. From them comes everything. They are the creators of everything. So he had the highest place. And he went to the lowest place. Has anyone ever carried all the sins for thousands of years on them? Anyone? Have any of you paid for other people's sins? Christ did. He had all the sins committed previously, presently, and that will ever be committed. He had on him. So his sacrifice was a much, and he himself had no sin. He was innocent. Imagine dying as an innocent person for someone else's mistakes. Not only someone else, billions of people's mistakes. Billions of people's mistakes. He had the high, he sacrificed his devotion is bigger than anyone can ever try to have. But we must follow this sacrifice. We must say, Lord, I want to step in your footsteps, in your devotion, and in your sacrifice. Can we really understand the measure of his sacrifice? If we, if we want to try to understand the measure of his sacrifice, we have to understand who he really is and how far he descended to reach us. So I can't really know what a big sacrifice Henry paid when he, when he gave me a thousand rand last, not that he did, hopefully he will, but I mean, when he gave me a thousand rand last week, and it was his last thousand rand. So for the, last, for the next two weeks, he can only eat the bread and the milk in his cupboard. He has nothing else. If I understand what he's given me, where he comes from, his circumstances, then I can appreciate the sacrifice better. But often we become dull to who Christ is and, and who he, what he represents, what power he has, what he gave up for us. So let's read Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's powerful. Christ is supreme is the heading in the New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Remember, we're talking now about the second point. Follow his sacrifice, follow his devotion. So to understand it, let's see who he is. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He's always existed. Creation comes from him. He is over all of creation. That's every planet, every star, every insect, every human being, every plant, every animal. For through him, God created God this Father, God the Spirit, through Jesus, created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Every spirit being, the ones that stayed with God and the ones that rebelled against God, God created them all through Jesus Christ. He's the boss of them, even though they rebelled. He still stays in charge. This is now our God that has died for your sins and my sins. Everything was made through him. Every demon, every angel, every principality, every planet, every star, everything is made by him. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. There it confirms it. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Today's kingdoms, today's rulers. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Now, if 
I've heard this and I've looked, I, I'm, I, didn't, I haven't done research again about it, but if everything is not exactly as it is in our solar system, there would not be life on this planet. It's a perfect balance. We would be too close to the sun or too far. It's like a perfect world, perfect solar system with the various planets having magnetic draw on the other planets. All of that is exactly as it should be. It's Jesus. He holds creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's your boss too. He's your head. He loves you too. He's your lover too, but he's your boss too. He's the head of the body. He is the beginning. The beginning. When is the beginning? He's always been there. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live. God in all of his fullness. So Christ is God. If God in all of his fullness lives in Christ, then that makes Christ God. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Even, he can even reconcile, he can reconcile mankind. He died for our sins. But it says everything. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So let's look at it from a human perspective. Human perspective, just to make it, bring it down to earth. This massive CEO that has the biggest Fortune 500 company on the 94th floor of the One World Trade Center. It's got 94 stories. I worked it out. It's a half a kilometer high. 500 meters high. This CEO sits on the 94th floor of this building. He owns the building. And he decides to come, and he stays in New York. Sorry, this One World Trade Center is in New York. He comes to South Africa to work with 12 warehouse box packers to sort out the total mess in the company's main business of logistics. That's what Jesus did. CEO, big company, on the highest floor of the highest building in New York. And he doesn't come work with the directors in South Africa of their company. He comes and works with the box packers in the warehouse to sort out the problem. Because he knows if he can invest in them, they will change the world around, which they did. By the power of his spirit. This is our Christ. This is, this is now. So if you realize who he is, what power he has, you realize what massive price he paid. Is any price too big for you and I to pay? If we want to follow him? Is it? No, never. It can never be too big. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. A bit more about Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same mind as of Christ Jesus. What's the mind of Christ? Have you ever thought, have everybody said, have the mind of Christ? Have you heard that? What is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ, him being in very nature God, he's God, did not consider equality with God to be grasped, to use for his own advantage. Who being the very nature of God, rather he made himself nothing, 
by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He became nothing. Often I have to say to myself, when, when I feel I'm becoming proud, I feel I'm getting no grootkop. You know what grootkop means? I have a big head. Who of you struggle with big-headedness? Am I the only guilty guy here? Only three of us. Can the rest of you come lay hands? I don't know how you get it right. <laughs> Who struggles with big-headedness? All of us, ne? Okay. When I, then I just say, Mac, you're nothing. And I know it. I don't just say it as I know I am nothing. Because Christ made himself nothing. And you know what? With all of my heart, all of my life, I want to follow my Jesus. I want to follow him with everything in me. The question is, how far, when it comes to not only following his holiness, but following his sacrifice, his devotion, how far are we willing to lower ourselves to become whatever it takes to be like Jesus? How far is too low for you to follow Christ? I don't think anything is too low. It's going to pay. You're going to pay a price. It's going to be hard. not going to be easy. How much is too much to give love to the undeserving, ungrateful, extremely rude person as Christ would have done? Is that too much? Follow his example. Follow his sacrifice. Follow his, follow his devotion. Do you consider anything beneath your standing or yourself? Anybody consider any person or any situation beneath yourself? We may say yes. We do. Am I right? But we look at his sacrifice, who he is and what he did. We've got no ground to stand on. Nothing is beneath our standing or ourselves. But do we? There might be. No one on this earth will ever be able to take in a more reproachable, lower position than Christ. All the sin ever committed on, is on him. He being soiled with our sins. Or will ever, nobody will ever be able to occupy the highest position. He's always existed, made all creation. He has the highest throne in heaven. All life comes from him. So no one can take a lower place, have all that sin on them, and no one can take a higher place. This is the kind of sacrifice that God made for us. And the last point is, we are to follow his mission. What was Christ's mission, his singular mission? To die on the cross and to save us. To save the world. His only goal and mission he pursued from the day he was born. To open up a pathway to a very chaotic and messed up world. A pathway to salvation. To equip all of us that follow him to bring healing, love and peace to the people around us. His mission was to save the world. We are to follow him in his holiness. We are to follow him in his sacrifice, in his devotion. We are to follow him in the mission of saving the world. John 3.16, most well known. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his son and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The question is, we want to follow Christ's mission, Christ's goal. What is the goal in your life right now? 
Do you have the same goal as Christ? What is your mission in your life? Are you following Christ or are you following your own Christ and your own ambition? Often we can panel beat Christ to suit us. Are we not panel beating ourselves to suit him? Who's fallen into that trap? Make him see him the way I want to see him for my sake. Not saying, what should I become for your sake? Are we, if we are to follow Jesus in holiness, in sacrifice, devotion, and in mission, his purpose, we are to repent first and foremost of wanting to serve him in the way we want to serve him. Lord, I'm sorry, I've not served you the way you want me to serve you. We have to repent of half measures. We have to repent of running after other passions more than running after him. We have to repent of pride. We have to repent of clinging, holding on to offense. We have to say, Lord, I want to be used by you. We have to repent of wanting to bury our brokenness and not pursue healing and understanding from Christ. We are to surrender and be extremely obedient to every draw by the Spirit on our hearts and minds. To study Him, pray, be with Him, worship, and totally be vulnerable with Him. To obey Him in all things, no matter how hard they might be. I'd like us all to close our eyes.